Hello, everyone, and welcome to Dragon Talk. We are here without Shelly. It is just me. I'm Greg Tito. Uh, I also have Mr. James Haig across the table from me. Hello. Hey, how's, Greg. How's it going? I'm doing great. Sweet. <laughs> this is the first time you're doing this in video form, so I know it's it's hard. It's very strange. I'm, I'm in a new realm. There's... I have to look at a camera. I have to look at you. Last time I was just looking out into space, a glazed look in my eye. Which was way easier, right? Yeah. You know, yeah. when you're just like picking your nose, making things happen. <laughs> now we're super profesh, as uh, Ryan would say. No, you would never say yeah. that. Um, so we're going to talk to James uh, in the interview today about something awesome there. May, uh, uh, you and Rudy Woot and a few others are making for the Dungeon Masters mm-hmm. Guild. Uh, what's the name of that product again? It is Xanathar's Lost Notes. Lost Notes, not his last notes. No, not his last notes. Xanathar is alive and well for now. That, <laughs> that we know of. Uh, excellent. So I can't wait to get into that. Uh, there's a lot. Basically, I said it's like a, as big as Xanathar's Guide to Everything. A little uh, small. It's, it's, it's over a hundred pages. What? Mm-hmm. That's more pages than the last thing that you put out on the Downstairs Masters Guild. Yeah, which was like thirty pages. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Good. I was, I, as I was saying that out loud, I'm like, this better be true. <laughs> <laughs> of course, the last thing I, I did was was me, and this one has five, six, seven, eight. An untold number of people working on it. Oh my gosh! Uh, all very professional and so talented. They're infinite people, uh, but uh, because we can't put infinite people on a mic, we're only going to talk to you and uh, Mr. Rudy Rutenberg. Mm-hmm. Uh, Otherwise, gonna... we'd drive you mad. Exactly, and it'd just be like a cacophony of sound. Uh, poor Ryan would have to deal with that. We're not going to do that. Uh, but we are going to introduce some uh, fun things that are going on with Dungeons and Dragons. I mean, you mentioned Xanathar's Guide to Everything is in uh, stores. By the time you listen to this, it will be available everywhere. Uh, it has 27 new subclasses for each of the player uh, classes in uh, the 5th edition Dungeons & Dragons rules. Uh, it's got some traps, uh, got some new uh, guidelines for Dungeon Masters, as well as common magic items, uh, which I think are super full of flavor and really interesting, uh, too. So a smorgasbord of stuff uh, to add to your Dungeons & Dragons game. Um, we've been talking about it here on the D&D team, how it's a crazy that it w- has been as high as number seven on Amazon's um, bestseller list for all books. That not, blows my mind. Not just genre, right? Not just even games. Not just that. It is all books, number seven. In the world. It's incredible. It is insane. Uh, it doesn't make any sense. Um, I mean, there's there's o- Oprah's on there. Joe Biden is on that list. Uh, uh, tons of other uh, crazy, well-known. Brandon Sanderson, I think, was right next to us on, mm-hmm. on some of the things. So, like, you know, all books. It's, it really means all books, and it's up there. Uh, I don't think. I, I think last I checked, it's not quite at number seven right now. But it, it had gotten that far. Maybe it will again uh, by the time uh, you're listening to this. So it's pretty amazing. A lot of people are excited about this thing, and uh, the work that you guys are doing are gonna make it even more exciting yep. because there's more stuff for classes more stuff for people if you if you are not uh, all tired out of brand new subclasses by the time you get the actual hardcover xanathars then well, it's something like 19 new subclasses and other assorted goodies packed into that one sweet yeah nice um, lots of other products are out there. Of course, Tomb of Annihilation, we've been talking to you guys for uh, a long time. We just had the uh, finale to Force Grey Lost City of Omu uh, in Brooklyn, New York. We call that Force Grey Survive the Tomb. It was about a six-hour extravaganza, uh, Dungeon Mastered by uh, Matt Mercer. Love that man. He's a good man, uh, but he went quite... Uh, uh, <laughs> 
I, I don't think he pulled any punches. <laughs> let's just say that uh, in in the last battles in there. But uh, if you get to the end of the story in, in, in Tomb of Annihilation, some some crazy stuff happens, uh, and uh, the characters of Force Gray got to experience all of that. Uh, my favorite bit was that the uh, scenery was made by uh, Dorvin Forge. No uh, way. Yeah, Stefan Picorni uh, actually had his sculptors in town in Brooklyn uh, for the next batch of stuff that they're making, and they made some custom stuff for us. It's really amazing and badass, and uh, it, it showed up really well in the stream. So uh, if you're interested, go check that out. It's on the Twitch Collections page, uh, I believe, for Force Gray, uh, and we'll be uh, porting it out to YouTube. Probably by the time you're listening to this, it will be there. So uh, go to the Dungeons & Dragons YouTube page uh, as well as on our Twitch channel, and you can find uh, the full video there. Uh, pretty exciting. Um, and of course, if you want to play in Tomb of Annihilation with your players, uh, jump in. It's there. Uh, you can get that uh, everywhere. It's at your local game store. Um, there's great Adventurers Guild, I'm sorry, uh, uh, D&D Adventurers League content associated with both Tomb of Annihilation and uh, Xanathar's Guide to Everything. Uh, you can play that in your local store, but you also can buy it on D&D Beyond, Roll20, and in Fantasy Grounds. Uh, it's all out for everything. Uh, some other fun stuff is out there is the Adventure Grid uh, will be available for you. Uh, it is uh, basically dungeon tiles. Uh, for um, uh, terrain, it's got wet and dry erase. You can put it on your bookshelf. It's kind of that n- a nice, high-quality uh, cardboard that you find in, in uh, uh, board games. Folds up nice, and uh, you can. Uh, there's the dungeon and the wilderness terrain. So if you use a lot of terrain and minis in your game, it's a great add-on to your collection. Uh, also, um, uh, speaking of add-ons to things that you can use, uh, the Dungeon Master screen reincarnated is also out now, uh, as well as Gale Force Nines. I was just mentioning Tomb of Annihilation. They make a Tomb of Annihilation specific Dungeon Master screen that has all the information that you need to run that, as well as the marketing art pieces uh, that uh, we created. So there's the Port Nine Zaru uh, image, as well as the one with the skeletons all around it, that kind of stuff. It's a good-looking uh, uh, kit. The first time I was ever in this office, I walked by a conference room that had that huge image of the red dragon soaring over, like, the burnt-out ruins. Yes. And I looked at it and I thought, wow, that's the greatest D&D image I've ever seen. And imagine my joy when I saw it on the new Dungeon Master screen. Yes. Like, ah, I can have it in my home now. I know, right? Tyler, Tyler Jacobson made that, uh, uh, that painting, and it was one of my favorites, too. So I'm glad that it's actually out there in the flesh for everyone to use in their uh, uh, home game. It's mm-hmm. good stuff. Uh, some other fun Dungeons & Dragons stuff that you can pick up uh, is, of course, uh, the WizKids Tomb of Annihilation Adventure System game. You can play as four kind of characters in uh, that, uh, including Artist Simber, who has the Ring of Winter, uh, mm-hmm. a pretty powerful item. Uh, you can also play as Birdsong, which is a tabaxi bard. I think it's the first time a bard has been in the Adventure System games. Um, well, what's cool about those, there's five of them out now, and you can inter change all the pieces. Wait, really? Yeah. It's totally the same system. So if you have Castle Ravenloft, if you have uh, uh, Wrath of a Shardalon, any of those, uh, Legend of Drist, uh, they're all interchangeable. So it takes some hacking, but they all can be used together. You're blowing my mind, Tito. (laughs) (laughs) It's true. People love using those because it's hard to sometimes get an entire D&D group together. Uh, You can play uh, people who play more board game type stuff, or... Uh, you can play solo, I believe, with the mm-hmm. Tomb of Annihilation one from, uh, from WizKids. So go check that out. That's in game stores now, uh, as well as Betrayal at Baldur's Gate. And I should probably say we've announced something pretty exciting uh, at PAX Unplugged uh, yeah. this past weekend when we're recording this. But it'll be a few weeks of news out there, so there'll be more information out uh, that Shelley, I'm sure, would be remiss if I didn't mention to you. Betrayal Legacy is a game that is being worked on as we speak. People right now are designing it, they're developing it, they are implementing it, they are playtesting it, uh, and that person who's leading the charge there is Rob Davio. Mm-hmm. Have you ever got to meet Rob? I've never had the chance to meet him. He's a great guy. Yeah? 
Betrayal is my absolute favorite game in the world. If I ever say another board game is my favorite board game, then either my tastes have changed, like, meteorically, or I'm lying. Did you ever play any of the Legacy games? Um, uh, I played Pandemic Legacy for, like, one one session, and then I, I moved, and I never, like, got the chance to board game with those people again. I know that feel. But... I'm so excited. Can you imagine mashing those two up? It's so great. He, yeah, I, I, I can't imagine it, and that's why I'm so excited to see it. I'm like, how how will the madcap one-shot madness of Betrayal uh, mesh with a legacy campaign-style game? Who knows? Who knows? Uh, but what I've seen so far looks uh, damn amazing. And then just being, I've been in the room a couple times where they've been like uh, 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 brainstorming like mechanics and ideas. Oh, that won't work. Or this would work instead. I'm like, oh my God, this sounds so great. Oh, I'm so jealous I can't of wait. you. <laughs> yes. Rob Davio is one of my, uh, he's one of the few people I've met where I, I audibly gasped after he told me his name. Because <laughs> I just have been playing, I, I think I've said this on the podcast before, but he was just playing, uh, uh, I was just playing a lot of Risk Legacy. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I met him in, at a PAX East, and he's like, oh, I'm Rob Davio. And I'm like, <gasps> <gasps> <laughs> Rob Davio. That's so amazing. Uh, but he has uh, become a, a, a great co- colleague and friend, and uh, I can't wait to see what uh, they make together. It's going to be great. Betrayal yeah. Legacy, and it's coming November 2018. So... You have a long time to wait, uh, but anticipation could sometimes be a good thing. Twelve months—that's the length of a, of a legacy game, right? Twelve months. Yes, right. Mm, it, yeah. We're on brand with that one. I'm seeing. Mm-hmm. I'm seeing this all happen. So intentional, uh, yeah. planned. You're picking up what we're putting down. Mm. <laughs> uh, so that's really exciting. Uh, of course, uh, Idle Champions of the Forgotten Realms uh, has an awesome event going on now. Uh, it is from Codename Entertainment. It's the Idle game. You send out your adventurers on stuff. Uh, on quests and adventures, and they uh, collect loot and defeat monsters and kill all that in real time. Uh, it's super badass. Uh, speaking of uh, Force Grey, mm. there are all of the heroes in Idle Champions of the Forgotten Realms, which is awesome. As well, uh, there's an event going on right now. Uh, so those of you listening to this may not be able to get this, but those of you on the Twitches, you can do that. Uh, Feast of the Moon event is live now uh, through Tuesday. Uh, November 28th, and you can unlock a uh, Tortle Druid champion, uh, which is pretty awesome. Uh, but what's cool about Idol Champions is that they do these uh, uh, events kind of regularly, so there's always going to be something new and fascinating that's only going to be happening for a limited time, so you always want to kind of check in. Oh, nice. Yeah, good stuff, right? Um, and then finally, what can I end with you guys to talk about? Because there's just so much out there. Um, I'm going to say uh, that you should all be paying attention to Beamdog.com if you aren't already. There's a countdown currently on there, so uh, you will, it will be revealed to our listeners exactly what they're counting down. Uh, but it's pretty exciting. If you were a fan of Dungeons & Dragons games from 2000 to 2010... <laughs> You might be excited about what's happening. Hey, last time they put down a countdown clock, they gave us Planescape Torment enhanced. So yeah. it's going to be something nice. Hey, quick quiz. What was the next uh, Dungeons & Dragons game after that? Oh, man, I don't know that. <laughs> <laughs> right. But, you know, last time... Because you were a kid. You were a child when that happened. <laughs> I didn't own a computer. Um, but last time they did a countdown clock like that hidden in uh, uh, the source code of their website... What was it? It was PT underscore EE, and people people guessed what it was right away. It's very, yes. They, they become adept at hiding things mm-hmm. in the source code, so I'm sure folks are already jumping into it, if you haven't already, um, and it's, it's pretty amazing. So you should yep. do that now. Uh, but those of you who are listening to this, you know exactly what we're talking about, and you will enjoy it even more so, because you might even be able to play it, is what I'm trying to say. Nice. 
All right. Uh, I think that's enough for now. And uh, let's get to uh, some of our segments. You know, yeah. I own, uh, we just recorded a Laurie Chanot segment before you physically got in here. Oh, nice. So I feel like we should play that one because <laughs> we, we tangentially mentioned uh, uh, something that you worked on, which was the Gem Dragons. Yeah. Uh, when Wolfgang uh, came by, you met, we were talking about that. Mm-hmm. I'm sure everyone who talked about Gem Dragons in that interview was very kind to them. They Very well, nice about them. You, well, your work, especially, <laughs> uh, on Gem Dragons. Not maybe the idea of Gem Dragons in general, uh, but we'll play that. Hey. Can I say that? Can I actually call it out now? Is it going to be enough? We're on. Sounds like you just did it. Well, all right, we're doing it. <laughs> we're going to play that Laurie Chanel right now. So make with the bongs, the bings, and uh, all that crazy stuff. Welcome to another Lore You Should Know. My name is Greg Tito, and I'm joined by these Lore Masters, Mr. Chris Perkins. Thank you. And Matt Cernet. Hello. And today, uh, in Lore You Should Know, where we go through a little bit of Dungeons and Dragons lore and give it to you piecemeal in fun ways that you can infect it into your game, we're going to talk about Good Worms of the Nerth, uh, which is a, uh, an, uh, to say, dragons, uh, named dragons. The Forgotten Realms has a bunch of them. Mm-hmm. Uh, and Chris Perkins, in his uh, day at uh, Dragon and Dungeon, uh, you edited uh, the article about a the worms of, yeah, of the Nerth. That's right. Ed Greenwood wrote the series of articles uh, back in the day for Dragon Magazine, and he included uh, a bunch of chromatics and a bunch of metallic dragons, which are the good ones, and even some uh, gem dragons were thrown in there because they were kind of a thing at the time. Nice. Uh, so I thought we would focus mostly on some of the some of the metallic dragons of the north. Right. We covered uh, chromatic dragons in an earlier segment. That's you might right. have heard that already. Yeah. Uh, but these are going to be the uh, ones that can be used as uh, you know patrons or just fun exactly. wacky characters, yeah. not some that you know will necessarily destroy your party. Exactly. One of my favorites um, was. Lamarantage. Lamarantage. Yes. A bronze dragon. And what I loved about Lamarantage is that he is basically a merchant shipping magnate. Interesting. He has a fleet of ships that uh, course up and down the Sword Coast, and he sort of visits them and dumps messages on them into... Not, <laughs> Bad choice of words. Uh, visits them and d- gives messages to their captains and, and just make sure they're all on track and everything's going well. And um, also uh, is kind of a bane of pirates and so has waged battles against the pirates of Luskin and made enemies of its high captains, uh, all in defense of its shipping fleet. Yeah, I, th- I think he's got like a particular flag or, or the trademark. The eye that is, banner, yes. yes. Yeah. Which looks like a an ornate eye mm-hmm. against a blue field um, that is sort of his symbol that yeah. is on his flags and icons. Yeah, and I think like it's like the the iris of the eye looks sort of like a scale shape yes. or something like that, and yeah. so that's kind of the idea that's there. The tip off. That's that's his little <laughs> little hint yeah. that that's that a dragon's mind. Otherwise, it, it's sort of a big secret. Right. That, they uh, yeah. The, the captains don't reveal that they work for a dragon. Oh, I see. So d- I was going to ask: Does he conduct his business uh, in a polymorph form? Or is he always has a dragon? Um, so to his friends, he appears in his natural form. Uh-huh. And when he must hide himself, he can um, veil his appearance. But yeah. he's, he's actually... Um, so so the, it's, it's, we're still talking about Lemuros, right? Yeah. Like, so um, Orlambor is like this weird island out in the middle of the ocean um, of the Sword Coast. And uh, the people there kind of live in sort of these sea caves, kind of, and they they build ships, and they're awesome shipbuilders, and so on. And their island is protected by the Witch of the Waves, and that is actually 
uh, Lamaraz, who is also known as the Claws of the Coast, um, mm-hmm. in his disguised form. Yeah. Sort of a, portrays, portrays himself as this sorceress who protects the island from various X, Y, and Z. Interesting. So. All right. That's pretty cool. Yep. I like that. Um Another bronze dragon of note, and we can mention him briefly, appears in Storm King's Thunder, and his name is Felgalos, the Flying Misfortune. Mm-hmm. And what's cool about him is that he's one of the younger dragons. Um, in most of the dragons that we see in Ed's articles were like old, very old or ancient. Um, this was a rare case where Ed actually showcased a, a fairly young dragon. He's called the Flying Misfortune because of his uh, outlook on life. He's this devil-may-care gadabout um, mm. who doesn't have any fixed lair but has lots of places where he likes to sun himself and he just has a knack for getting himself into the worst possible trouble and so that's how he earned his name and he, al- and he also earned his name because people have witnessed the dragon like fly into things and crash <laughs> and whoops <laughs> yeah, uh, land on top of a Zentarum caravan by accident we're not really sure um, but you know Whoopsie. it happened mistakes happen um, but oh, he, he is this—he is this kind of goofball. Yeah. Uh, and so, in that way, I think he's kind of endearing. I thought bronze dragons always kind of had that that character too—that they were always a bit um, mischievous. They, or is, or is that well, not that's not so much a bronze characteristic as maybe a brass. Okay. Uh, but um, bronze—they tend to enjoy warfare and they prowl the coasts and things like that. They love the water. Um, uh, so he is a little bit of an anomaly for a bronze dragon. Other bronze dragons would go, mm, that boy ain't right. <laughs> uh, <laughs> he and, needs to get his... Uh, but but his optimistic it. spirit and his can-do attitude always went out, and so he's kind of a lovable dragon in that regard. Right, I, I so, like that. That's really all there is to say about him. Um, if we want to get into one of the more mysterious and weird dragons, let's go with Nimur. Yeah. Nimur. So uh, Nimur is a... Uh, bronze dragon that has been for um, generations sort of the, the patron of a family in Waterdeep, a noble family in Waterdeep, the Silmer Elves. And so uh, he has been sort of this weird, um, I don't know, he's sort of played the part of this sort of family ghost that's advised uh, the Silmer Elves through portraits of their elders and stuff like that and kind of magically... Um, pointed them one direction or another and tried to sort of form them into sort of a good noble family. Uh, yeah. in and it, it, there's, it's hard to ascertain why he picks, what, what, who he chooses to talk to. It's usually someone in the family right. that he has warmed to for whatever reason. Mm-hmm. And then, like Matt says, speaks to them through these portraits. So it's possible that the person being spoken to has no idea that they're being talked to by the dragon. They think they're being talked to by like their ancestors. Does the dragon appear as a dragon in these portraits or as oh no as no it's, it's portraits of their ancestors or whatever on the wall in the, so in the noble houses that they, so they have a place in Waterdeep and they have a place uh, I think it's Stormhaven House mm-hmm. I'm not positive that's the name of it but that's up by one of the forests north of Waterdeep and so, so he both man- those places he manifests through so, portraits of other yeah. people so he magically puts, puts himself in the paintings and talks to them as if it's like the painting is talking to you, but there's no lips moving or anything. It's just you hear the voice of the dragon oh. emanating from the painting. I got it. All right, that makes sense. Yeah. Uh, and why, what is his connection to this family? Why has he been? Why has he chosen this family as his? Uh, uh, you know, uh, who he should be guiding? Gosh, I don't know that we. The, the article explained why he um, chose them. I, th- I think ultimately he he's a force of good in the world, and uh, he he believes that in the the 
ancestry and the blood of the Silmarhill family, there's the potential to do great things and to be great. And so he's, he looks for greatness in that family mm-hmm. and then cultivates it um, as part of a legacy. I think like any old dragon, uh, anything that can withstand the test of time is deserving of consideration. And the Silmarhill family is an old, 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 old family. Neat. Okay, cool. That makes sense. Yeah, and and so there's, I mean, Nimur is in, uh, what was it, the Rage of Dragons? No, it was one of the, what was the other adventure that we did just recently? Tyranny of Dragons? Uh, yeah, he was noted briefly in uh, Prince of the Apocalypse because his, that retreat, that Silmarhelve retreat is north of the city was mentioned briefly. Uh, Rise of Tiamat, because there's, a, there's the Council of the Good Dragons in the Rise of Tiamat that... that. that um, that come and sort of organize the response, and he's one of them, uh, along with a bunch of others. And uh, there's uh, there's an interesting idea in both uh, the Draconomicon and Third Edition, and the one or the Dragons of Faerun in Third Edition and the Draconomicon in Second Edition of this idea of the King of Justice, which is this. Um, gold dragon elected to be sort of like the ruler of all the gold dragons in the area, the north, the Faerun, and um, so the, the so there's both. So there's so, sort of an idea that among good dragons, there's at least an acknowledgement of some amount of organization, right? Among them, they aren't all individuals sort of scrapping for their peace. Um, they they have you know among the the gold dragons, there's this king of justice figure. And then there's also Valamarades, the um, the quote unquote dragon queen, um, who lives up in the north. I think she lives in Silvery Moon. But anyway, yeah, that might be right. And uh, there's one of the the um, like the one the, there's a female silver dragon on the the Council of, uh, yeah. of the Worms, which is who is named Otari Likiakarnos. <laughs> And it doesn't give me a, a, a thing here that says what else the name would be. <laughs> nice. but, but one of the things that Matt brought up is that uh, unlike chromatic dragons who are fiercely territorial and generally adversarial toward one another, metallic dragons at least can get along yeah. in the world. And there's an acknowledgement that, hey, if you're a brass dragon and you're confronted with a gold dragon, you should mind your manners because the gold dragon is sort of higher up the the metallic chain, as it, it were. Is it similar to the to the ordning and, and the giants? Kind in, of in, in effect, yeah. There's a unspoken, unwritten law of order um, that probably comes down from Bahamut on high, but also because gold dragons are the most powerful and also the most lawful. Yeah, that right. they can impose a structure on the others, and the others are just like fine. Um, uh, and there are there are certain organizations. So that I, uh, one of them is named the, the, the right here. There's the sisters sisterhood of Assembra, um, and that and that one character Orikulukan, knows whatever her name is, belongs to that along with some others. But there's also another Orange one. Juice can. Um, <laughs> it's, uh, it's it's expired, but it's okay. There's there's another one which uh, was a similar idea, and it has something to do with silver, and I I can't find the name of it. But basically, that one is is like uh, the idea that um, they these are the dragons who are the paladins of dragon kind, regardless of their color. They're the ones who kind of commit to this code of ethics and try to follow this particular rule, and, and they have their own organization. So these are like informal offices almost yeah. within amongst metallic dragons, mm-hmm. if yeah. that makes yeah. sense. Okay. Yeah. 
And Ni- and Nimer, we got on that off of him because he, was he one of those? Uh, there, the, that was he was involved in the Council of Good Dragons oh, that all came together. C- that came together to Tiamat. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, a gold dragon of note that is worth mentioning um, because he showed up in a Force Grey adventure oh. is Palarandusk. Uh, he is a dragon who lives. Uh, his his range is quite large. He's got domiciles up by Neverwinter and also in the Sword Mountains north of Waterdeep. He's got a fondness for gnomes, and there are gnome clans that live in the Sword Mountains that he's very protective of. Uh, what's interesting about Palarandusk, aside from the fact that he's immensely powerful and has magic up the wazoo, is he's, in some respects, he's like a Cheshire cat of the north. He is mm-hmm. a dragon who you never, you rarely see all of. Parts due to his, the rituals that he has used to prolong his own life, parts of his body phase in and out of existence. So when you run into him, you might only see like his mouth and his tail or his claws or part of his fin and his wings. And it's, uh, and it's sort of constantly shifting. If you see him at all, sometimes he's completely invisible. Interesting. Um, and it's just a manifestation of all this magic that he has used to sustain himself. It's not even something necessarily that he can control for any length of time. And so he's just an interesting figure visually. He's also known as the Sun Dragon, locally. And Matt picked up on that in particular and kind of rode with that for a Force Grey season. Neat. Yeah. yeah. Um, and uh, does he... But you said he's ancient. Like, how, Is he like uber ancient, ancient more so than... Yeah, he has is, he is exceeded the natural lifespan of an ancient gold dragon. Oh, okay. Amazing. Yeah. And all through this yes. hyper-knowledge of magic right. and being able to phase. Right. Mm-hmm. And un- unlike stupid evil dragons, he's not going to go after the cult of the dragon and say, make me a Draculich. <laughs> no, he's going to try to use his own learned magic to sustain himself. Um, he's not... Other dragons have had mixed success trying to do the same thing, which brings us to Miram, the silver dragon of Candlekeep. Ooh. Right, yes. Who so, lost her body. Yeah, so Miram's now kind of a ghost in the belly of Candlekeep. Interesting. And um, exists in a, in a sort of semi-real state. I mean, she's not really technically dead, I don't think. It's unclear. Her body deteriorated, and all that she is able to manifest now are her spectral jaws. Right, which we mentioned a little bit during yeah. uh, when we talked about Candlekeep. And in her most lucid moments, she can be quite conversive and is happy to help you find things in the depths of Candlekeep. But uh, as it says in the Worms of the North article about her, uh, she is not entirely sane anymore. The loss of her body and her kind of entrapment in Candlekeep has made her a little bit barmy. And so if, you, if she thinks that you've stolen a book, yeah. whether you have or not, she can just go absolutely nuts and start chomping you to bits. Oh, because that is the worst. Any librarian will... Right, <laughs> yes. Be super uber That's right. She's, she's all, you know, soft and all that, but you, you do something wrong and... Yeah. Evil librarian comes out and, yeah, she will, she will eat you up. With, with her spectral jaws? Yeah. Where do you go when you get... You die. She chews you up and you're just like, pulp. Okay. <laughs> okay on the floor. Can't actually yeah, be exactly. consumed. <laughs> yeah, she leaves a mess behind. Okay. Um, Ooh, that's rough. Yeah. Yeah, there's also um, there's a there's a small area in the fields of the dead called Tempest's Tears, and that has a bronze dragon protecting it called uh, Amaraxantha. Mm. Nope. 
not going to try it again. You picked the good ones, um, Matt. <laughs> and I like that one because, uh, like, the whole community of gnomes and dwarves is basically hidden under the ground and buried, and this dragon is protecting it. And it's just kind of this, it's like, a, like they're happy to just do their thing out there, out there in the fields of the dead. Nobody really knows about them. Oh, and by the way, they have a dragon protector. It's pretty cool. Yeah. Technically, that's the Western Heartlands. Uh, is it? It's on the edge the of the fields of the dead? Yeah. yeah. I thought the Western Heartland started basically south of Dragon's Oh, I see. Not in the north. Not well, in the north. It's a worm of the Western Heartland. <laughs> <laughs> you just got rules, lawyer. <laughs> then we couldn't talk about Nexus. What's I don't Nexus? even know who Nexus is. <laughs> we'll get to that That's in another... That's not real. <laughs> it's totally fake, not real dragon. It's, his name is only two syllables. He can't be real. <laughs> yeah, right. There's an X Unless in he's like though. five years old. That's... you got an X and a U. That's most of the... Dragon name, for those who don't know, uh, in the Forgotten Realms, your dragon name gets longer the older you get. Oh, it gets added to it? Yes. Is that the story of the it, name? Yes. So when you're a wormling, you might have a name that's just like one syllable or two. Mm. But as you age, you rack up more syllables. I didn't know that. Yeah. Is the name like the story of your life in a way? Um, it could be. But usually it's just uh, just to annoy people. Um, <laughs> it's <laughs> a, annoy it's a prestige thing. It's like uh, you know adding Esquire on the end of your name yeah. or yeah. Uh, insisting on being called doctor because you have a doctorate and things like that. It's, it's just a prestige that makes and, sense. And, and, a, and an indication of your age and, and uh, power. So Nexus' long name is Larendramagar. Larendramagar. So Nexus is more of a, uh, like a nickname, I guess. Yeah. Um, like, so, which we've been saying a lot of their nicknames. It's, Nexus is, a, is another um, sort of uh, gold dragon, ancient worm kind of super wizard. Uh, or maybe sorcerer. Uh, and... Um, then the sort of the idea of the king of justice uh, during like the last dragon rage or whatever um, the king of justice died or was deposed I forget which but anyways um, there's not a currently sitting king of justice and so uh, there's a couple of candidates and one of them would be Nexus who is this super wizard dragon yeah. so. you mentioned dragon rage what's a dragon rage Question. Yeah. So uh, every some number of years, and I'm I'm going to get it wrong if I try and guess. So I'm not even going to bother. But uh, there's basically this um, this red star that passes across the world, and that causes all of the dragons to go cray cray, mm. and they go on just crazy rampages, regardless of their own desires or whatever. And so they end up fighting one another, um, crashing into towns, fighting with giants, and they're they're just sort of uh, rabid, reckless, reckless, crazy. Yeah, and it doesn't matter what whether they're chromatic or metallic or right. what alignment they would be normally. Right. They just yep. all, all dragons. Feel this, yep. This. Yep. Is it like a rage heat? of dragons? Is it a heat thing? Is it when is it when breeding happens? <laughs> no, <laughs> no there's, there's no there's yeah. no breeding okay. um, going on. Just pure reckless destruction. Interesting. Yeah. Is there is, is there a reason for why this happens? Is the, the star associated with Bahamut or, or some other dragon god? That's why this. No, it's it's just one of those bizarre celestial events, like in Night of the Living Dead, when the you know the moon, you know Venus yeah. is in subtle such alignment with blah blah blah. Right. Zombies will rise and eat your brain. This is kind of the same thing. Got yeah, it. it's, it's called the King Killer Star. Yeah. Um, and that sort of precipitates the the rage of dragons. Um, Let's see if I can find Sounds out like more that's going to that. be a good uh, adventure in five to ten years. Mm. Rage of dragons. Yeah, we, we got... did a, we did a novel 
um, series based on that. Yeah, there was a few yeah. of them. Yep. Yep. Um, yep. 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 Who wrote those? Oh, sorry to put you on the spot look. there, but I have to look. That's a good question. I can't remember if it was. I think it was multiple authors. Yeah, it was definitely multiple authors. Yeah. that's cool. Uh, interesting. All right. Well, while Matt's looking this up, what are uh, what's another dragon on your list? Um, another dragon uh, from Ed Greenwood's Worms of the North is Dezelda Rinzen. Sorry, Dezelda Rinzen. Dezelda Rinzen. Yes, I think I got that right. Hang on, I got it written down. Dezelda Rinden. Rinden. There we go. There you go. Dezelda Rinden is a silver dragon. He is a consort to Valamaradais, the dragon queen of the North. I don't mean dragon queen in the Tiamat sense. She's just a a queen who is a, a dragon. Gold dragon. Um, this is this is a weird case where you've got a gold dragon and a silver silver dragon in a relationship. That doesn't happen very often. No, um, and the silver dragon, uh, the male, is the consort, um, and they kind of live and hang out together. What's interesting about them, Dizelderindan, Dizel, Dizel. Yeah, he has an interesting lair. Uh, it is described as floating near Everland. It's called the Floating Mountain. Mm. And it's a huge, like absolutely titanic, ovoid chunk of hollowed out stone with like its own mountain peaks on top of it. Okay. And the dragons live inside of it. Mm. And uh, it basically just hangs in the air for all to see. Um, is it similar to like the the heart of Uptown that just does that? In yeah, shorts? yeah, it's just immensely enormous, uh, floating uh, earth mountain um, near Everland. Uh, we did not mention. I remember reading up on it before writing Storm King's Thunder, and decided to actually leave it out of the adventure because it would have been such a distraction, and I didn't want to. I didn't want to have the characters just suddenly get totally caught up in this giant flying mountain thing. But it's close enough to Everland that you'd have a hard time not seeing it as you were approaching the city. Nice, but it sounds really cool. Now yes. I want to go there and yes. hang out. Yes. What's uh, what's why are they in a relationship? Like what? Why? Um, how did the gold and the silver meet? It, and- it just ties with their. I think they're both lawful good for one thing. I think they're just both fierce protectors of of goodness and north. They both like to assume human forms. Mm-hmm. They're both involved politically in uh, sort of events of the north. Um, I think. If I if I remember, um, Dzeldarindan likes. Oh, I made a couple interesting notes here. One is he he likes to impersonate people. Oh, okay. Um, his thing is he's impersonated uh, famous figures like uh, Calvin, Aronson, Illustriel, one of the Seven Sisters. Mm. Uh, he takes on their likeness and basically poses as them for good, like while um, they're deposed or yeah, or, or, often often to. Uh, imitate them when they can't be around, right? Um, and and such. Hmm. Like if Illustrial's off doing this, but we need her to make an appearance, or if Dizelda Rindon needs to convince somebody that Illustrial's around for the good of the realm, yeah, um, and the good of Silvery Moon or whatever, uh, he will take on that form and basically stand in for her. Interesting. Uh, the other thing he likes is he likes hippogriff flesh. So mm, probably not many tasty. hippogriffs around Everland. <laughs> So the uh, books were written by Richard Lee Beyer, and they are okay. The Right, The Rage, and The Ruin. There we go. That is neat. I want to read those, find out more about The Rage of Dragons. Yep. Um, all right, so we covered we covered a lot of the metallic dragons. Are there any that we didn't cover? Um, no, uh, c- conspicuous by their absence, uh, not 
uh, in Ed's series of articles, there were no brass or copper dragons in the north, which isn't surprising since brass and copper dragons wouldn't want to live there. Um, they're, they're more sort of warm-dwelling dragons, um, coppers being fond of deserts and uh, brass being fond of warm prairies and grasslands. I see. And hills. Right, yeah. and the north just doesn't have a lot of those. Not so much, areas. no. The, the temperature would not appeal to them so much, so you don't see many of them around. Got it. Do you think there's any, any uh, because of the strong presence of gold and silvers and, and things like that, that anyone... It could also be that there are so many other goddamn dragons in the north <laughs> that the, the lesser metallics, the, the coppers and the brass, just can't carve out an, uh, a territory for themselves and feel like they can own it. Nice. Yeah. Uh, do you want to quickly mention any of the gem dragons? Uh, do you have a couple? Are, a couple of odd dragons are worth mentioning yeah. of the north. Um, one is Jalanvalos, who isn't a gem dragon. Actually, uh, she 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 is a steel dragon. Oh, those are quite um, rare. Yes. Well, yeah, particularly so because, as Elminster himself has said, steel dragons are not actually native to the realms. They're native to Greyhawk. Dun, dun, dun. How did they get here? The same way that Greyhawk wizards occasionally get here um, through magic uh, portals and plane shifting and whatnot. Uh, Jalan Velos is an accomplished spellcaster. Uh, they call her the worm of many spells uh-huh. for that reason. She is notorious because, and I'm not sure she still lives in Waterdeep. That's an open question, and I'll mention, I'll I'll point out why in a moment. She is most famous for a spell duel that she waged against Kelvin Blackstaff Aronson. Himself. In Waterdeep. Yes. They threw down. And he cast a spell to hurl her out of the city, and like three days later she showed up again. Um, uh, So, defiant to say the least, yeah. prone to assuming human form. In fact, whenever, typically when you saw her in the city, she would be in the form of a beautifully dressed lady mm-hmm. um, and uh, a notorious figure for that reason. The reason why she might not be in Waterdeep presently is because of the dragon staff of Agaron. Um, or sorry, the dragon ward of Waterdeep. Uh, the, ward of, the dragon ward of Waterdeep is a magical effect around the city that prohibits dragons from entering. Right. Unless those dragons have been blessed, touched by the dragon staff of Agaron, which is like a get-in card for them. Right. And who's, who's in control of the, the staff now? Well, until recently, it was in the hands of a archwizard of Waterdeep named Maril. Um, but Maril left Waterdeep and left the staff behind. Um, so in whose clutches... I can't say. I know the answer to that question, but I'm not going to reveal it just yet. Interesting. Yes. I like that. Yeah, Marl was a funny character because he was uh, sort of this kind of good wizard in that mm-hmm. he kept the you know the dragons out of the city and stuff like that. Yeah. But he was actually a real jerk. And <laughs> the fa- fantastic thing was that he he built his castle tower in, in the city to look like a big rampant dragon. Mm. So it's just like yes. a pink stone. Like, Arr! It's like a big F.U. to you dragons. <laughs> yeah. You can't come here, although right. you want to fight. Yes. Yeah, 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 yeah. Uh, and apparently it blew up during the spell plague. Uh-huh. And its head is used as part of a fountain on the side of the mountains. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> That's an even bigger F.U. to be like, yeah. by the way, we made so, sculptures yeah. out of your heads. Yeah. Yeah. So during the um, the story uh, uh, with the uh, rise of Tiamat and Horde of the Dragon Queen, yeah. uh, the Dragon Ward is down, um, but now it's up again. So okay. 
So there was there was a brief period yeah. where she could have gotten in yeah. and is still hanging out. Right. But is the Dragon War strong enough that it once came back up, all dragons that were inside the city limits there then pushed out again? They would have to be. They would feel compelled to to, yeah. to, to well, leave. Yeah. It's yes. sort of, like the the second edition term is an antipathy spell. So, and that like the the closer you get to whatever it is that you have that antipathy towards, like the more yeah. sort of sick and like the weaker you get, and mm-hmm. so on and so yeah. forth. So no dragons want yeah. to ever feel that way, so yeah. they right. don't even come. Yes. Close. Now the ward only covers the city proper; it does not encompass its harbor or underground. So uh, you so may s- still find dragons there in Skullport, perhaps even. Perhaps. Nice. Yes, and indeed. That makes sense. So it's- we mentioned Jolan Velos because she was sort of a weird outlier. Yeah. Um, another one is El Denser. The worm who hides in blades. All right. Now he, gosh, is he, is he a topaz? Amethyst. Amethyst. Okay. He's an amethyst dragon. So who, purpley. Purpley. Who, uh, a crystalline purple dragon who hides out in swords. And uh, that's basically where he exists solely now. Uh, and he can basically transfer himself from sword to sword. Any sword. It could be a short sword, a long sword, a great sword, but it has to be a sword. It doesn't even have to be a magical sword. So, like some of the others we've discussed, does it? Does he still have a body? Eh, I think it's actually stowed away somewhere. Um, I don't know if I have any so, notes on this, but so this this dragon is able to is, it, is that like yes. where sentient dragons or sentient weapons come from in a way? No, it has nothing to do with that. He's but he could. If you were to find the sword with him in it, you might think it is uh, just a typical sentient weapon, just not realizing just, yeah, that it's, yeah, it's right. got the disembodied dragon living inside it. For all intents and purposes, it's the same. As, it functions similarly to a sentient, but he doesn't have the sort of sentient uh, weapon ability to dominate and control you. He can just try to use his honeyed words and persuade you to do what he wants or, or tell you he'll go to a different blade and you'll, you know, all the all the knowledge that he possesses will have left you. He does reportedly, his body is hidden, <laughs> of all places, in the city of the dead in Waterdeep. Oh, um, there's a lot of crazy. <laughs> yeah. I I I don't know if you counted up all the mausoleums in the city of the. De- For those who don't know, the city of the dead in Waterdeep is a parkland cemetery oh. that basically is an entire ward of the city. It's a massive. Yeah, it's it's park, like which people, Central Park. It's Central Park, and people can go there and have picnics and dine, and, all, and there are all these beautifully maintained mausoleums belonging to the oldest families of Waterdeep all around you. Yeah. So it's kind of solemn, but beautiful in a way. And some of these mausoleums have gateways leading to hidden places where like bodies are stored and things like that, and oh, others okay. just contain the remnants of dead families. One of them apparently is uh, contains a crypt with a vampire in it, and then a gigantic dungeon complex called the Dungeon of the Crypt. And then there's obviously another one with the remains of an amethyst dragon somewhere. Well, so I have to, I have to say, there aren't any uh, gem dragons in 5th edition yet. Right. And if I have anything to say about it, there never will be. <laughs> <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> I am a gem dragon hater. <laughs> Put me down as a gem yes. dragon hater. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> so. So the, wh- yeah. why? Just real quick. What's 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 your what's your hate oh, on the on the? So, so so for me, it's it's like 
there there was all the metallic dragons and all the chromatic dragons, and then people started doing all of these middle. So there, there was there's purple dragons and there's orange dragons and there's brown dragons and there's, you know like oh Yellow come on, dragons. you know there's steel and there's iron and there's you know oh god the yeah. urge to sort of fill out every possible thing right, so cobalt right. and oracalcum and yeah and then all of a sudden now oh well we'll leap to gem well now we got all these other things that we can fill out and we don't have neutral dragons yeah, so this is the way to do it yeah. let's do it. Uh, yeah. Yeah, I, I like it as a spice. I think you're right. I think if, if, if you're just having, oh, this is something that's yeah. weird and different, that makes right. total sense. But once yeah. you start putting all the spices into the stew, it starts to get bland. Yeah. I, I think that's yeah. what, you, what you're going yeah. at. Right. That to makes me, sense it, to me. It, it sort of diminishes the coolness of the the five chromatic and five metallics to have add-ons of all these different other things. And then it further diminishes them to have the gem dragons be like this other Wing, right? Got and it. when you're talking about like cosmic conflicts between like Tiamat and Bahamut, which have waged since the beginning of time, <laughs> and then you've got this sort of other outlying group of dragons who just sort of come marching in and say, "Hey, what about us? How do we fit into the grand scheme of things?" It's like, oh, go f- off. <laughs> <laughs> Makes sense. Makes um, sense. But, uh, but but at the same time, in a in your own campaign world, if you can imagine that the gem dragons came from some far flung world. You know, they were brought through from portals, so yeah. they weren't. They're not part of the the dragon cosmology of the world. They're outsiders that intrude. Um, or conversely, in your world, you may not have the chromatics and the metallics at all. You can have Ed Greenwood detail the bevy of these uh, crystal gem dragons, right. and they could be the only dragons in your world. Yeah, I like that too. Um, um, so, uh, so I love all these. I love all these uh, uh, metallic dragons that can be used as uh, not adversaries, but things that Gem can. Dragons were psionic, weren't they? Yep, they had a lot right. of psionic powers. Yeah. yeah, they were. They were a great way to bring psionics into the game. Essentially, oh, that makes sense too. Crystal dragons, yeah. Yeah, right? Always with the crystals and the psionics, yes. all the time. There is, a, <laughs> yeah. It's a new uh, age thing, man. Yeah. It just kind of happens. Uh, cool. Uh, any any quick advice for how to? In, in, you know, you already mentioned a few things of like how to you know make them interesting in your, in your home game. But like, if you're going to use metallic dragons, uh, you know, maybe some of the stories that we talked about here. What's uh, some quick advice you might give to dungeon masters? I think that the best use of metallic dragons is to hide them in plain sight. Mm-hmm. Um, because they because metallics have a, a penchant for assuming humanoid forms, they are easily disguised. They might have little subtle idiosyncrasies or visual cues that might betray them uh, to the studied eye, uh, but uh, they can lurk in your midst and and be sort of kindly forces to help you out in in times of great despair or get you on an adventure if you need to go. Uh, because they're interested in hoarding stuff, they're exactly the right kinds of benefactors to send a party of adventurers off to retrieve a lost artifact. Mm. Particularly if they think they can be the, they should be the ones to safeguard it. Yeah, and I, I, I like the idea of um, having these characters that are able to kind of push you and nudge you in, in various directions. And it's because they see some sort of long-term gain in that, right? Like, it's not just because they are, but they probably don't individually care about you. Like, you, you can live or die. You're going to live or die. They're going to outlast you, whatever. But they're, they're looking at the grand scheme of things. They're trying to sort of do the greater good and that kind of a thing. And then, so then you have a character who is um, sort of that benefactor for you, but might also at certain points be doing things that are not so good for you in the short term. <laughs> right, right, right. You know, and that can be kind of an interesting conflict. Um, yeah, I like that. There's fun stuff too, like uh, Bahamut has uh, like some number, it might be six, but it might be more than that, of uh, golden canaries that he... Seven. Seven? Is that what Seven it is? Seven golden yeah. canaries. 
and they uh, they're it's actually like a polymorph gold, gold dragon. Yeah, polymorph gold dragons. So, oh. so that's like a fun thing. So like you imagine, you know, you have like some character who's maybe the the wizard in your town or something like that, and he's got these seven golden canaries, and he's the the wizard's sort of master and teaches the, the wizard some spells and stuff like that. And then all of a sudden, boom! Sometime later in the campaign, when characters are twentieth level. You know, they can realize that that's actually Bahamut the whole time or oh, something like that. so yeah. cool. Yeah. All right. I like that a lot, too. All right, cool. You're giving us lots of uh, ways to do it. Um, since Chris and I are both wearing uh, uh, dark colors, we're obviously black dragons, uh, and you're an orange dragon. That's today. right. Yeah. <laughs> I get stuck been, with orange dragon. You've been hiding this whole time as uh, an orange dragon. Uh, all right, guys. Thanks. Uh, if people wanted to uh, throw some ideas for dragons that they might have at you, uh, how could they get in touch with you on the Twitters? I am at Chris Perkins DND. What about you, Mr. Cernet? And I am at Cernet, S-E-R-N-E-T-T. And I am at Greg Tito. And, uh, yeah, we'll be back next week with another segment. Thanks, guys. That was a really good segment. I'm sorry that we talked about gem dragons like that, but it's an inconsolable. I think it's well. I think what I mentioned. I try to give you some saving face in there, but like eventually, like if if you if you've got too many different flavors of dragons in the same campaign setting, I can the 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 fun of them can kind of get lost. But yeah. if you're using it in your campaign of like, oh, here's gem dragons, and there aren't the other ones, or you know their their introduction is somehow part of the plot of it. Uh, I think that works really well. Yeah, I'm totally with you. One kind of dragon, one kind of weirdo dragon I really liked uh, from 4th edition of all things was, uh, I think there were cataclysmic dragons. There were these big force of nature beasts. Mm. And I don't know, that's just where my tastes align with these massive force of nature, world-ending threats to end a campaign with. Like, nice. If you're going to fight a, a dragon, it might as well not just be a red dragon. It might as well be the entire volcano also. I, I'm all with that. <laughs> I want to, I'm, you know, it's... Joe versus the Volcano is one of my favorite movies. <laughs> so I want to be in Greg versus the Volcano, the D&D setting. Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> of course, for those of you who are, don't know what we're talking about, uh, uh, James, you did a uh, supplement on the Dungeon Masters mm-hmm. Guild under the auspices of Kobold Press, right? Yep, that was the first uh, big deal thing I did with Kobold Press. Um, I think uh, it was the first thing that uh, Wolfgang ever talked, you know, hyped me up about uh, when he talked with you guys. That's right. So, yeah, so long-time I, listeners know when Wolfgang's on, we've uh, mm-hmm. mentioned this exact thing. So that's the, the gem dragons we're talking about. And it's still up on the Dungeon Masters Guild now, yep. right? Um, in fact, uh, when I first published it, probably about a year ago, it was uh, five gem dragons plus their ruby god, Sardior. Um, and it had this one very nice picture of an emerald dragon right on the front. But because it passed, because it became a platinum bestseller on the DMs Guild, mm. Cobalt Press uh came back to me, they talked to me, hey, we want to give art for every single gem dragon in this book. Uh, we want to make it as gorgeous as we can for this, like, platinum edition. And so it's, there's a brand new edition of Gem Dragons of Faerun up on the DMs Guild uh, for PDF and print-on-demand that has art that you can show your players and uh, inspire imagination with. Very cool. Mm-hmm. I like that in the description of that, you actually went into a lower register that felt very Wolfgang-ish. I feel like you were channeling Wolfgang Bauer a little bit when you said the the, the Ruby God. Oh, yes. Oh, yes. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> it was good stuff. Uh, but Dungeon Masters Guild is actually why we're talking to you. So why don't we call up uh, Rudy Rutenberg, uh, and we can talk more about uh, what's going to be up there. Mm-hmm. Sound like a plan? Oh, yeah. Let's All do right. it. It's calling right now. Oh, my God. Is that Rudy? It's me. Rudy! Hey, everybody. Did you just make it back uh, from PAX Unplugged, like, minutes ago? Within within the last, like, half hour, quarter hour, something like that, 
That is amazing. You are uh, either hopped up on goofballs or uh, really good at sleeping on planes. Uh, I could not help myself from sleeping on the plane because we were so just running the entire time we were at PAX. Uh, it was, uh, we didn't get a chance to really sleep, and including like just kind of at a really late night with uh, Roth this one night. Um, and that, that, it was worth it. Absolutely worth it. That was, the, that was probably the uh, most D&D humble brag ever. I just, well. <laughs> <laughs> Did you make your save against the con plague, Rudy? Uh, so far, so good. It, mm. If you're trying to jinx me or if this is when you're asking me for your saving throw, I refuse. No, this I'm is when I knock master. on wood and pray for your safety. Oh, God, me yeah. too. Poor as long per- as it gives me... As long as we get through the week when we can release this thing before I die, that's fine. I'm okay. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, poor, I think Perkins might be succumbing finally after all of his tra- travels this last month or so. He was yeah, there. we've seen him at every single con that we've been at, and it's he's got to be just feeling it. What so, a trooper. Uh, like him, he's been working on some crazy fun stuff, and you guys are also working on some crazy fun stuff at the same time as traveling, so kudos to you for that. Uh, but yeah, why don't we talk a little bit about uh, what you're making, Rudy? Why, since since you're the newcomer here, uh, what is it called, and w- what have you been working on in in this? What's what's been your specialty uh, with the team on this? Uh, well, I guess I take the title of um, lead designer for the product, and it's it's going to be called Xanathar's Lost Notes to Everything Else. <laughs> oh, so it, it, it's not just a short and Xanathar's last no, lost note. I keep saying last notes, like as if they're his final notes. There's always it? another Xanathar, even if he goes down. This is true. Mm-hmm. Right. Mm-hmm. Uh, so we can push him off a cliff and there'd still be more. Well, but he's a floating like head. You can't push him off a cliff and won't actually do anything to him. Floating and flying are different things. We've established this in 5A. And this is true. Huh? This is true. I guess you're right. Uh, all right. So, yeah, you've been, so you've been the, the, the head honcho on this project. Well, yeah, I mean, I've got really, like, I would not be able to do any of this without the support group that we have here because, we like, Intercaso has been an amazing, like, basically producer, product manager for it, making sure to wrangle uh, all of the extra things because this, this thing is stacked. It's got a lot. Like, we've got, uh, we are trying to mirror Xanathars very closely. Uh, so we, we have some extra background stuff, pre-gens, we have items. Uh, Satine contributed the Urban Dryads, which is a, a nice... Uh, three or four creatures that have a nice, uh, they blend in nature and a really awesome backstory with the city and why they didn't leave and what their purpose is there. Right. Uh, and then we also have these incredible uh, array of classes brought to you by the entirety almost of the, uh, of the adepts. And Mr. Hick here is our editor. Uh, and then yes. we're still looking. Uh, Rich, you're going to have to do this for me because I always mess it up. I love the guy and I always mess it up. Rich Lesquilafleur. It's like he's got a dragon last name. <laughs> Man, I've got no idea how to pronounce it either. <laughs> the, um, the, the dangers of online collaboration and that you don't have to say anyone's names out loud ever. Yeah, it's like, it's like learning a language by reading books. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So when I talked to people about Dungeons & Dragons for the first time, it was like, uh, it's got this word in it and I never said this out loud before. <laughs> Let me try it out. Um, yeah. So that's super great. I mean, yeah, and then going off of, in case you guys haven't uh, uh, picked that up, the Dild, uh, Guild Adept program 
Gosh, I almost said dildo and death program. <laughs> the D- Dungeon Masters Guild <laughs> Gilded Death Program uh, was something that Chris Lindsay uh, instituted uh, back for the launch of Tomb of Annihilation. It was getting a bunch of uh, writers from different backgrounds uh, uh, and having you guys working on the products that were uh, ancillary to what we're releasing uh, here mm-hmm. from this office. Uh, and so this is one of the projects that's coming from the Santa Guide to Everything Gilded mm-hmm. Depths. Is that correct? Yep, that's uh, 100% correct. Nice. I love the Guild Out Up program. I love seeing that gold stamp of approval of things that Wizards of the Coast says, these designers know their stuff, and we would gladly uh, share it with the world. Yeah, and we're, we're not about, like, our whole point is collaborating and finding uh, the, dragging the talent in, because they don't have a choice, yeah. kicking and screaming uh, for, <laughs> for what we, you know, what we need to make, uh, additional wizard stuff that that just kind of hypes the uh, the core stuff even more. So you know, James here is not technically an adept, but mm-hmm. I'll be damned if he's not going to come and help uh, <laughs> when we need him the most. Oh, yeah, you know. So uh, right, and he's he definitely deserves a place right along us there doing the stuff with Lisa Chen and and Sean Merwin, um, Will, James, Cindy. Uh, Satine and I, and and those are like the major contributors to this uh, project. But the amount of, that this guy can kick out or kick back to me in a day is incredible. Like I, you know, like every time I throw something up, like it, it'll start to stack, and I'm like, I'll get worried. And then the next day, before I wake up, it's just all done. Nice. It's it's the reason why I'm almost happy I wasn't at PAX Unplugged this year, because <laughs> if I had tried to uh, edit 15 subclasses while I was also at a gaming convention, I would have lost my damn mind. <laughs> it would have uh, extended the development process for this uh, immensely. Oh, for yeah. Sure. Oh, yeah. Oh, my gosh. That's cool. Well, I love what Chris Lindsay has done. Uh, it's less about even that stamp of approval and more just about, like, making sure uh, that you guys are collaborating. I think that mm-hmm. that's really been working well. Is like, oh, yeah, and, then it's, and it's interesting with the stuff that we're producing out there now, too. So it doesn't feel, you know, uh, I think when the Dungeon Masters Guild uh, first started, there was a lot of awesome stuff on there, but it felt disparate, mm-hmm. you know? And so this is the stuff that's like, you know, what is in line with what we're doing uh, here. And it's like, um, you know, I think what, what Chris Lynn described it as like the first day DLC of like, yeah. you know, here's stuff that's, that's you know, in the, the if you're excited about this product, here's uh, stuff that uh, uh, creators in the Dungeons & Dragons community space are doing and creating uh, uh, to, to give you more choice. Yeah, and the the DLC metaphor is very apt uh, because when I like to get DLC for video games, I like it to be uh, a very a very meaty supplement. Like if I I went and played Skyrim and that full game is massive, of course, it's hundreds and hundreds of hours. Yeah. And it's DLC uh, is another solid like 50 hours of gameplay for every pack you buy. For sure. And it's you know, it's not a, a little one subclass sort of thing. Xanathar's lost notes to everything else, the full title eludes me. Uh, Xanathar's Lost Notes is, you know, it's more than 100 pages of new subclasses and monsters and even a couple adventures that I managed to sneak in there sort of at the last yes. second. Oh, no way. There's, yeah, re- there's, got, there's adventures too? Really? Mm-hmm. Wow. Oh, yeah. Well, so we, we made it. It was really important to me when, when I brought James on, especially because James has, uh, for anybody that doesn't know, he has quite a bit of experience writing campaign mm-hmm. uh, stuff for Talori <coughs> and then also uh, doing a couple of other larger uh, hard copy things that are going to be coming out from you guys here in the future. And... I thought it was really important for this to have a little bit of that marriage from, like, you know, we, we get in a lot of our books that 
if you would like to drop somebody in from here, you can say they got here through this path or they did this one. Mm. Well, James has actually gone through and written three back-to-back adventures that uh, bridge the gap or put you back on the ship or what have you there to get you from Cholt to wherever the hell we're going next. Mm-hmm. But nobody else gets to know that because that's our you'll, – you'll have a better idea when we get, get a release going. Up. Mm-hmm. For um, sure. And one of the things I'm also really excited about for this one is that we've got uh, some old favorites. So there's uh, stuff that people will recognize from the older editions uh, coming through for everything from warlocks to paladins to uh, fighters and uh, even some really cool new uh, kind of mechanics that we've been introducing as far as like using hit dice as a commodity you can spend Mm. at some other time besides a short rest. That's hey, cool. Hey, Rudy, what are some of your, uh, like, what are your top three favorite subclasses? Of all your children in this book, which are your favorite? <laughs> and uh, why? Yeah. And rank those three also <laughs> as your most favorite and least favorite. Okay, but you better be ready to do the same thing. Oh, yeah, yeah. Absolutely. <laughs> don't, don't play, you know. Um, well, so I'll start off with one of my favorite ones uh, from the gate is not even my own. It's uh, Lisa Chen. She's got this chaos warlock. And I think that uh, a chaos thing is an incredibly hard Thing for a designer to do and not make it feel either broken or uh, like wild magic is something that is, takes a long time to balance and it's something that can right. be very scary for other people sitting down at the table. So how do you make something that is pure chaos and and has patrons from limbo and and pandemonium but doesn't destroy your group and and still gives you some wacky fun stuff to play with, you know? Uh, so she did such a great job coming with that and, and, uh, it started off, uh, in a place where we could take and look at it and say, okay, this is so close. What are we, what are we playing with next? Um, how do we get this to feel, to match that, but also give it something different that we don't have yet. Uh, none of the classes that we have feel like anything else. And, and that's when we were designing, we were very much like, uh, what are we missing or what niche could be there? Cool. Uh, so, so there's chaos yeah, like, warlock. What's the, what's another one? Uh, next one would be probably the Illrigger, um, which is a callback to, I think, second edition. Illrigger? Um, yeah, the Illrigger. Or, you know, you could call it the Path of Predation. Uh, um, very bad paladin. Oh, I see. Mm-hmm. Sort of uh, worse than a blackguard? He's, uh, he's very blackguard-esque. Uh, mm-hmm. I think it was, right. like, early on. But the thing about the blackguard is it's all about, like, doing it on your own and, like, going in it. And the Illrigger is about rigging the situation for ill and all of the stuff that they handle is like how to get more followers to work in sequence with you how to get your group to mm-hmm. do things for you etc. oh it's, so it's like an evil warlord tyrannical autocratic yeah yeah in a way yeah i like uh, that and this one was uh, brought to me uh we i started doing this one for koval for the stream of annihilation oh and fell in love with the idea of it because right now as far as like evil paladins go we just got one but the one before that we had the oathbreaker and that was pretty much it yeah um but this is not an oathbreaker this is somebody who very strictly adheres to what they're doing and who they're you know working for etc the lawful is very strong here so it was something that i thought was an interesting uh take on that it kind of like rounds out our three non- happy-go-lucky paladins. Well, and that's interesting, too, Brett, because there are, I mean, you know, you have the, your your idea of what the good paladin is, and it's kind of this archetype, but then there are a few other 
you know, yeah. uh, archetypes of a paladin out there, like the nature paladin or, you know, whatever, what have you. And there, you know, for the longest time, there was always just the blackguard was like the one evil paladin, yeah. right? So it's nice right. to have some different flavors there, you know, have some, some, some rogue-like or, or, or uh, you know, um, persuasion type abilities. Is that, is that in the ill rigor? Yeah. Well, you know, way back yep. when in old Dragon Magazine, there was some article in the second edition days that was like paladins for all nine alignments. And they all had special names. Oh, yeah. And Lawful Good was paladin. And down here at Lawful Evil, you had the ill rigor. So this is, this is a name with a lot of history and a lot of like lore behind it. Nice. And so it's great to bring that back. For sure. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah. We so don't, we'll, we bring it back. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So before I answer my third one, I want to hear what James has uh, as a couple of options here that he likes so that I don't overlap them. Oh, okay. All right. So you is, got your top two from Rudy. Is your, is your third uh, the number one favorite? Should I start from uh, uh, yeah. runner up and go to best? Okay. Okay. Uh, um, I mean, something like that. <laughs> okay. Um, I love the, the Fey Sorcerer, the Fey mm. Sorcerer's Origin, um, because in the player's handbook, we got this very cool thematic dragon bloodline. You've got the blood of dragons in your veins. And I always loved that idea of really leaning into that sorcerer class fantasy yeah. of magic and the blood. And the wild magic was cool, but it, ne- it didn't, uh, it didn't uh, scratch that uh, itch for me. So I love seeing the blood of the fae returning mm. to the source. We're drawing your magic from, from uh, an archfae's uh, power somewhere down your bloodline. It's very very tricky and it has this strong nature theme which is something i don't think i've ever actually seen out of a sorcerer i've seen it out of clerics with their nature domain i've seen it out of druids of course i've even seen it out of paladins with both of the ancients but with sorcerers that's something new and it's something exciting and that's always what i'm looking for in new classes it's something that i hadn't thought of before right a new mm-hmm. archetype yeah yeah something that pushes the boundaries a little bit mm-hmm. um which might be a little ironic because the next thing I'm going to say was one of my favorite, uh, favorite classes from 3rd edition, which is the Beguiler. Mm. Uh, the wizard tradition now of uh, the Beguiler is this very uh, tricksy wizard. I guess I'm talking all about the, the tricky and uh, subterfuge classes. This means this something one. about you as a person. I, I guess think. it does. I'm going to shatter that expectation with my number one, though. Okay. I'm going to really blow that all, all to hell. Um, but the Beguiler is all about being basically uh, Gandalf meets uh, James Bond. You're a wizard secret yeah. agent when you're a Beguiler. Oh. Mm-hmm. That's a cool way because to put yeah, we already have the enchanter who's very much about the charming of things and making them, you know, float in, like like having you do their bidding. And then there's the illusion who tricks you that they're not actually there doing yeah. the bidding. So where's that middle ground? And we, we noticed that the Beguiler from older editions is very much like the arcane trickster. Mm. Uh, it's very, very much rogue. But what we don't have is the opposite end of that. Like, what are you going to do when you've got, you need to play a game of just wizards? Mm. Now nobody can pick a lock because their fingers are all, you know, filled with ink and stuff. So this kind of gives us a better option for uh, for that. That's fun and fits in along the, the lines of the War Wizard uh, or the War Mage and the Blade Singer. Yeah, Neat. there are a lot of classes, subclasses in this book that feel like one class inheriting a bit of flavor from another one. Um, there are some other cool ones in there that uh, there's a barbarian that gets some sorceress background, um, kind of to expand the ranks of classes like the Eldritch Knight and the Arcane Trickster in ways that you get a little taste of something different without having to delve into the multi-classing variant rules. Yeah. 
So that makes sense. yeah, it's if like you're mixing of of it's like you're multiclassing, but you're getting all the benefits without having to do the negatives of, yeah. uh, of multiclassing. So and also if you've got like an all bard party like Satine, Scott, and Sirens of the Realms, mm-hmm. uh, you could take a subclass that in uh, imbues your bard with a little bit of extra something else without having to do the multiclass route. For sure. Yeah. All right. That's cool. All right. What's your number one then? James? Okay. My number one. Hey, Rudy, do you want to take number one first? No. Uh-uh. <laughs> okay. It's fine. I actually knew what it was. I didn't need to think about it. Um, this one is all new. It's got nothing from the past. It's not one of those splashy classes I was just talking about. This is the Rune Guard. Mm. It's called Rune Guard, right, Rudy? Yeah. Rune Guard. I thought it was like Rune Guard. You're the Guard. editor. You should, you should know this. <laughs> I have so many subclass names in my head right now. I've got like <laughs> 30 of them. Um, no, but the Rune Guard is it is a magical fighter archetype, but not in the way you would expect. Um, when I was looking over this one, I went back to Storm King's Thunder and thought about all the cool things that runes could do. Yeah. I also went back to Skyrim and I thought about the dragon shouts in that yep. game, how this... Uh, the power of language and writing and speaking can affect magic upon the world. Right. And so the Rune Guard is actually a pretty mechanically intensive class. I like a good balance of that. One of the reasons I love 5th edition over sort of uh, more story-focused games and over more mechanically-focused games yeah. is because it strikes an even middle ground. And the Rune Guard as you pick from almost like a spell list of different runes. And not only do you pick individual ones, but you can combine runes to make all new admixtures of their effects. So it's almost like a like a a, a new magical subsystem. It's a new magic subsystem, and it fits one of the ones that we were talking about. Yeah, and it fits perfectly into that uh, runic fantasy of Storm King Thunder. If I ever play that campaign again, I'm going to definitely play a rune guard in it. Nice. Are your are the subclasses that you guys have been talking about? Are they uh, restricted by uh, race choices? Like you know, rune guard seems to be like a very you know, uh, a dwarven type thing, like, mm. you know, they, or, or giants, you know, maybe only people who have yeah. giant blood can use them or something like that. But are, are you guys using that in, in, in Xanthar's Lost Notes? Um, I don't no. think so. We aren't, no. Uh, one of the want to take this wanted, one, Rudy? Yeah. Yeah, sure. One of the things that we wanted to make sure was that, uh, you know, like, w- um, the Blade Singer is one of my favorite classes. Yeah. Regular elves are very regular to me. I would rather do something else. But if I'm going to go play Adventures League and I want to play my Blade Singer, I'm restricted to that. And I didn't feel like really any of these had one that was specific. I I don't mind, you know, like back in the day when they used to be favored class this mm. or something like that. But the, to me, it's like I want these. I want people to be able to experiment with these options right. from anything from Volos or anything like that. Plus, what if I put the bugbear were the only one who could be a survival domain cleric. Like that, you know, <laughs> sure, I guess. But then that's taking it away from a lot of other people. Um, yeah, I but like that the rune guard's great. It's got that whole, uh, it's got a whole new kind of system for how to do that. And that's one that we agonized over for days yeah. to figure out how we were going to make that work. Um, same thing with the, uh, the Shire uh, from, from one of the older books in second mm. edition. Um, but my favorite, I think my final one is kind of a tie. Um, and Cheater. It's, right. <laughs> but it's because we have this, um, this really awesome, um, bards great. Bards are freaking great. And we've got this glamour bard, right. Yeah. That comes through and they're like, they're like the rock star. Like, you know, you've got David Bowie and, and whatnot, but what are you doing for the people who want to be punk rock for the ones who want to buck the system? Uh, the ones that 
you know, want to slap somebody in the back of the head with their guitar. Ah. That's where we're going there uh, with the Discord Bard. Discord, uh, baby. Ooh. Yeah. And it's all about, it's all about, you know, jumping into the fray, getting in there, and then playing wicked awesome solos that just make your team around you uh, that much better and reduces, like, the other people because they're not used to listening to that kind of music, but your team has probably had just, an, just about as much as they can take without topping it off. <laughs> All right, so I'm getting, like, a mix between uh, Rat Queens and the flamethrower guitar guy from uh, Fury Road. Oh, hell yeah. Yes, Fury's Road. Uh, right. and, and this one is inspired by uh, a friend of ours that uh, I made this one for, Taliesin. Uh, Jaffe from Critical Role. Nice. Yeah, he when he came on our show, he was like, you know, this is kind of like I, I kind of want to do something like this, and I was like, well, this is what I have so far. Right. How does that feel for you? Oh, that's awesome. Yeah, Towson would love yeah. that. And then the 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 tie on that one really comes down to the Bard of Keys because mm. of the wordplay that it has to do with. Uh, I really love the idea that uh, you have a Bard who's already the jack of all trades, but is never the master of any of them. And so giving one of the things that they don't really get to tamper with that much is like the idea of locks and wards. Uh, they, a lot of those spells are not on their spell list. So what do you do when you don't have the bard? They don't show up that day. They get a root canal or, or I'm sorry, what do you do when you don't get the rogue? They have a root canal or they're off. They get you know caught and they're behind jail. This are bard's, root canals canon in D&D? Do we, <laughs> you said one thing that made me think the rogue's player, but then you said another thing that made me think the actual rogue, unless your player is in jail. I guess that's possible. Don't rule it out. It's a rogue. <laughs> that um, makes sense. So, but this one, like, he gets to sing to the locks and the mechanisms and the apparatus, and that, to me, opens a really interesting uh, space for RP. You right. know, like, I love to make my bards sing for things, and I love to sing back and respond to them. So, what kind of an, what kind of a song would a lock sing back to you? Uh, one that's very uh, orderly, perhaps <laughs> very uh, uh, like a chant. Yeah, I'm maybe. A lock, I am a lock. I will not let you pass. Yeah, there you go. That could be it. That <laughs> that's what I'm going to sing to the lock, and then it'll make it open, right? All right, yeah. I like in this. Uh, does does the actual play on words of the keys actually uh, uh, figure into this subclass at all? Like, do you know? You know, can you? This is the bass cleft key. Well, you you know that I. I'm a, a lover of puns. Maybe you don't know that. Uh, you will soon. Most people are, <laughs> except for weirdos. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Looking at you uh, weirdos in chat who are doing all bunch of tree puns earlier. <laughs> Thank you for that. You're good um, people. You are good people. But this gave me carte blanche to make sure that there were just, uh, this subclass was rife with uh, music, key, lock, puns, just just everywhere. Yeah. Yeah, and, and bards are a class that can take that, right? Like, if I made a warlock class that was all goofy and punny, I might, like, think twice about that, but bards... No, bards, that's, that's what bards deserve. That's their bread and butter. Yeah. Right? yeah. When I did <laughs> yeah. a 4th edition version of a bard uh, way back in the day, uh, I, there's the flavor text with each power in 4th mm-hmm. edition, and I was like, uh, these are, I'm going to make these full-on jokes. Like, yeah. this, this is not... This is not D and D flavor. This is like full on like things to annoy your dungeon master. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, and that was you know like we're I was talking to uh, Intercasso at PAX and we were we were really talking about uh, the deadline here that we had put on ourselves for this thing, <laughs> and we got to a moment where we were like, well, what would you drop? And we kind of looked at each other and and he's yeah no, nothing. I can't. There's not a single one of these things I want to drop. I'm so excited for all of these. That's awesome. Uh, yeah. So. It's, 
super super excited. We even were able to give monks a good amount of love and and the yeah. wizards, which uh, you know we only got one wizard archetype uh, in this this latest one. And the beguiler is great. We've got the mage hunter in there uh, from some of the earlier Tomb of Annihilation stuff. But we've even found a way to uh, really give them a, a solid option to. Uh, to live there instead of the thaumaturge until they get that done. Mm. Uh, one that basically takes evocation magic and turns it into uh, a healing remedy. Love it. Love it. Good stuff. Uh, so you mentioned the deadline. When is this going to be available on the Dungeon Masters Guild, Xanathar's last notes? Uh, Lo- we've, we've lost notes. Not last. Damn it. Of everything. Last, <laughs> last notes of everything. No. Damn it. I did it wrong again. <laughs> Take a third. <laughs> <laughs> the lost notes of everything. There you go. Of yeah. everything else. Of everything else. Yeah, God yeah. Dang it. <laughs> All right, I'll let you guys say the product name from now on. Okay. I'm off. Um, we, uh, we were just talking about that uh, uh, earlier today, and we're going to say that it will be a Thanksgiving weekend release. Okay. Yeah. Mm-hmm. That's a pretty big window. Um, we'll, we'll, we'll probably <laughs> after the... Thanksgiving so the people don't – we don't have to compete with people meeting their families and all of that. Makes I mean, perfect sense. I'm going to play D&D over Thanksgiving, but I, I assume I'm kind of in the minority with that one. I'm going to play a D&D session where we go into the turkey and try to kill it from the inside and roast it and, and, and season it all from the inside. That's amazing. I'm stealing I, that. I just made that up <laughs> right now. So – all right, I'll, I'll be a Gilded Dep next year. Uh, so, uh, do we know what a price point is going to be at? Or are you guys going to do? What are you guys going to do? Um, um, go go ahead. Okay, um, it's going to be for. It's probably going to be like a 130 page PDF, and we're going to uh, sell it for twenty five dollars. All right, it, yeah. this is sort of the equivalent of. Uh, encounters in Port Nyanzaru from uh, last season's Guild Adepts program, right. which was this absolutely massive thing of adventures and encounters and all that stuff with a little bit of like player options sprinkled in. This is the inverse. This is uh, player options sprouting out of every ear and then a little bit of cool adventure encounter stuff sprinkled in. Awesome. All right. Mm-hmm. That makes sense. And this is for like, you know, uh, folks who. Loved everything in Xanathar's Guide to Everything and just want more, want more options to be able to give their players. Uh, it sounds like from what you guys have been describing, you said there's 17 new subclasses? Oh, that there's more. Yeah, there's more than that. It's, we're, it's we're, not the same amount as Xanathar's Guide to Everything itself, but it's it's real close to that. Nice. All right, yeah. so 20 we're plus. We're on the, yeah, 20 yeah. plus. We, we may have 25 by the end of it, but oh. it, it, we're getting close, and I'm at the moment where I'm like, well, if we don't hit the, uh, if this one doesn't make our cut soon enough, it's not going in. Yeah. That's super cool. Uh, that's, well, you know, I think that's totally worth it. I think you, know, you get a wealth of content from, uh, uh, from folks who make good stuff. Uh, and uh, are any of these... Subclasses being used right now on streams or things like you mentioned a couple of times that you these were developed in conjunction with with streamers and stuff that people might know. That's a good question, yeah. uh, Rudy. You would know better than I. Yeah. Uh, well, I do know that the druid, the uh, spirit lord, uh, mm. is going to be working its way into uh, one of the sirens' repertoires, and uh, we have the uh, Chris uh, Lindsay when he plays an Eberron with us. He's usually playing the Bard of Keys with Taliesin replies, uh, reprises his role. It'll be Discord. Um, and then I do know that uh, we, we did have the Divine Herald, which is the rogue, kind of like the equivalent of the 4th edition Seeker. Uh, no one expects the Spanish before. Inquisition. <laughs> right. Um, the Monk of Atonement is played by our friend uh, and Game of Thrones alum, uh, Eugene Simon. 
and uh, the Dragoon, uh, Zach Smith, another big, uh, and and also Kim uh, Horcher in our new uh, Fury's Fate game that's running right now. So we've got a lot of these that are hanging out, um, in and other people love playing them, and that's really why they were built. Uh, so there's a lot of stuff in here to play with. I love that. I love that you guys were, I mean, it's not really playtesting. It's more just like, here, this was made for a specific thing, and then let's refine it and develop mm-hmm. it and make it into uh, uh, something that makes sense to be in a yeah. PDF. And, and share yeah. this well-played, well-loved uh, creation with the world. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And there's a, I forgot two of them from some of our favorite little wizards, uh, cronies down there. Uh, Travis Woodall and uh, Bill Benham play... Mm. Sacred Kin and Red Reaver Paladins, or sorry, not Paladins, Barbarian Halflings together. (laughs) They're amazing. Good guys. Um, So, yeah, and that's the the Sorcerer's option that he was talking about earlier, and then also the Red Reaver is a kind of like um, uh, siphoning blood uh, for, uh, for hit dice, in a way. So Your own blood or other people's blood? Well... Uh, it depends on if you, uh, if you keep up your side of the bargain with your, uh, your barbarian, your rage. Mm-hmm. Mm. This, uh, this is one of those cool new mechanical, uh, in-depth classes that we've been talking about, where you can channel your hit dice into more than just keeping you alive. Uh, actually, into keeping other things dead. That's what you're channeling <laughs> it into. <laughs> nice. But does it involve actual, like, bloodletting on your own? I think, I think we leave that up to the player to decide. It's like a flavor thing. Yeah. Well. If do we? <laughs> you don't, so here's here's one of the things: is if you are a barbarian and you do not hit something or you do not take damage at the end of a round, you lose your rage. Mm-hmm. So one of the things in this one is if you are using your one of your features that allows you to siphon life from something when you hit it, uh, and you fail to hit something, or you have not been hit, the uh, the thirst for the blood ends up taking away some of your hit points mm-hmm. as well. Interesting. Uh, so a couple of questions here on the, uh, uh, in the chat here that I think uh, makes a lot of sense. I want to make it out there. Uh, yeah. So will this be Adventurers League legal, uh, the stuff you guys are doing in here for these uh, subclasses? That's a Rudy question. Yeah. So as always with Adventures League, after we put it out, it goes through review. Uh, I do know that the, uh, the line for class stuff is very small. Yeah, uh, I would say that the line for the adventures, like what he's going to write, or some of the other things, like the backgrounds and whatnot, those are probably I would I would say hopefully will become AL legal. Yeah. The uh, but the the other ones I do know that there are things that after they go through a review, Chris Lindsay will take a look at him. He'll probably take him to uh, Crawford and have a have a little gaze and be like, okay, this one will work or this one won't or this one will be. Something like the way the Death Domain Cleric worked, where we could give out special certificates for them uh, if people wanted them for different AL games or events or things like that. Right. So, uh, but we're, we did a lot of work on making sure these things were balanced mm-hmm. and made sure that they had a good flavor that didn't uh, take away from any of the other classes. There were sometimes we had like an option in there that was something close to one of the other ones, and we were like, we're not, that's not going to be a thing. We're going to take that out because it doesn't look uh, like it's kind of steps on somebody else's toes and we don't want mm-hmm. that. Right, right. Um, that makes sense. Yeah. And then it's going to be a PDF available from the DMs Guild. Uh, right. And it, are there print-on-demand options for it? 
there, uh, we intend on having uh, print-on-demand options ready to go for it uh, when it launches. It may be something that comes up a couple of days after or a week after, but they need to have. Uh, but but you don't have to buy it again because it'll be an update that comes with it, and anybody that purchases it will get that eventually. Sweet. All right. Cool. That's I'm glad Rudy knows this logistical stuff because I'm so focused in the words of everything. I'm right. lost in there. <laughs> well, Good and this know. is James. Yeah, James and uh, Intercasso is really our uh, project manager for a lot mm. of these things, and he. I was so in the weeds with it, and then James. Uh, Joey here was was doing the same thing with me that I was just like we can't I, like I need somebody else to take care of this and James has been wonderful at wrangling uh, the other content from other creators and uh, these little logistics questions and running them by me uh, so that I could t- look up from the words for a second say yes or no and then look back right down and get working yeah. again. Nice and shout out to James and Trocasso. I think we we had talked about getting having him on this podcast. Might have still worked, but I was I, I think having three Collins would have been a. A that would have been a lot. Yeah, yeah exactly. Uh, but he's here in room, spirit. Yeah, and I think there's room maybe for him and Rich Lascafleur to uh, get in and, and have a conversation about how they wrangle those things. If, if this thing becomes some sort of success or something, if we sell a copy or two. <laughs> yeah, I would love to. And I would also love to figure out, uh, you know, ask more questions after this is already out. And I can take a mm-hmm. look at it and be like, oh, yeah, what was this? What was this? And that there's definitely more uh, I, I want to ask because yeah. there's, there's right. feels like there's a lot of stuff here. Um, I feel like well, I had I one more question I wanted to ask. Oh, right. Uh, so uh, someone in the chat, Stabby Rogue Games, uh, mentioned uh, D&D Beyond. Um, I know it'll be a, a heavy amount of work, but would you guys be uh, putting this into the homebrew section that people could then subscribe to? Is that something that's uh, on, on at least the docket? Um, so I had a conversation with Adam Bradford while we were at PAX, yes. and the... Uh, we were we were talking about what better ways to synergize some of those things, and this could possibly uh, possibly be one of those things that goes in there that they will put in. Um, and uh, obviously, if it if it becomes a um, fully legal or any of any one of these classes becomes legal, it'll go in. But as a homebrew option, yeah, I think uh, we it would be an interesting thing for us to be able to get in there. Um, and I think that because of the adepts, like, you know, the Wizards has been very, very upfront uh, as far as the DM skill goes with, like, the, you know, we want to look stuff. We want to get things in there. To my knowledge so far, none of the subclasses from anything in, in the DM guild has made it, um, made a cut for it. But I think that something coming from the adepts specifically has a, a good shot at opening that floodgate mm-hmm. uh, for everyone else. Too, because you got to have that first nail in the coffin before you can get the rest of the lid down. Well, I think also, I mean, the homebrew options within D and D Beyond are pretty robust for mm-hmm. you being able to to add things in there. I think I may not be wrong. Maybe we have to get Adam in here to really talk about that. But I think you there, there's ways for it to be uh, in there now. Uh, maybe maybe not subclasses though. Maybe that's just for. Uh, items and spells and monsters, which are more of a discreet thing. I think that's maybe mm-hmm. with subclasses, that's actually much harder to implement. So now that I'm saying it, I'm talking myself out of it, <laughs> and well, it is impossible, and it will never be done. Well, and there's, but here's the other thing, is I know that uh, racial options aren't aren't in there that you can homebrew. For instance, the Grung, even though it is quasi, you know, available through Wizards, is not uh, one of the options, and I know that we have a few racial options in here mm-hmm. uh, for some more Fae-type-oriented things, and we wanted to make sure... Uh, I went through and I looked at first, so that was part of the conversation uh, yeah. with Adam was about like, well, what about Grong? What about these? What about this? And uh, you know, we'll see. Well, we can all be hopeful right. and uh, hope that this stuff becomes a, a, a fad. 
But for now, the short term, probably not. Uh, maybe in a long term situation, might uh, might open itself up mm-hmm. once uh, once we get more along there. But that makes sense. Good question uh, for for sure. Um, well, I now I feel like I need to follow up with Satine's uh, uh, urban. Um, Dryads, because I love the idea. I mean, you know, rangers and and uh, barbarians always have that like, oh, nature domain thing out in the wilderness. But I love the idea of the the urban ranger and the urban druid and the urban dryad makes total sense because every city in human history has trees in it. Yep. Right. Every city has been like, and, and they, they they pay attention to them. They you know manicure them, and so trees are a very vital part of all. Human cities from yeah. history, so of course they would have spirits within them. I basically just finished editing that one nice. uh, a night or two ago, so it's fresh in my mind, and I love the concept. Um, it's you know it's pretty simple on its face. It's dryads that live in parks and uh, between the cracks and paving stones. There's there's uh, three different types of them. There's this little uh, sproutling. Uh, dryad that will uh, crawl into the cracks between paving stones and bricks and they'll be little messenger runners mm. between more powerful dryads but they are um, like like a dryad in a forest is bound to a tree it mm-hmm. lives within that tree in myth um, these little sproutlings are sort of bound to a neighborhood and so they have this little society in between uh, this one street and they'll pass information from one end to the other and one tier up from there, there is the urban dryad, the namesake of this bit. And they are much more like normal dryads you would see in uh, the Monster Manual, for instance. But instead of being bound to trees, they could still be bound to trees. We've got a nice sort of central park location, Waterdeep City of the Dead, perhaps. Right. Um, uh, they can also be that big big curtain of hanging ivy on uh, a building. Uh. When I was in college, my theater building had this giant thing of ivy. So every time I look at that, I think, oh, well, that's just a giant dryad hanging yeah. out on the side of that building. Of course. Yeah. Nerd. <laughs> Listening to all of the, the, the singing and the actors yeah. warming up. And uh, uh, yeah, exactly. Which makes these creatures excellent spies in an intrigue-based urban campaign. You want to insert some of these guys into Waterdeep? You have an urban campaign on your hands. Um, If you need secret information, if you need secret agents, you just uh, find some way to get into the good graces of the urban dryads. And you can do that by interacting with the third and final one, an elder dryad. Mm. Uh, Correct me if I'm wrong, Rudy, but every city has only one elder urban dryad in it. They're sort of the master of the domain, and they are bound to the city itself. Because in the lore of these creatures, they are dryads that were once in a forest that was raised to build the city. And so they are still bound to the land and they live within it. And many actual mortals, humanoid creatures, will make deals with these dryads because they have incredible power. A city may be made of stone and metal and glass, but it's still built on the earth and it still has trees in it. So if they really want to mess something up, these dryads can absolutely wreck a city block. Oh. So you want to be on their good side. I just love the plot of them. What if they are revolting? Right? Yeah. So what if the elder is like, yeah, ex nay on what you're doing, eh? And he's like, all right, we're <laughs> going to tear Alliance, down. I don't think so. We're going to tear down yeah. these walls, uh-huh. you know, because, you know, right, the, the strength then, of the root to get through concrete is yeah. very possible mm-hmm. right what i love about them is that they give druids and rangers like you were saying a little bit more plausibility within the city but beyond that yeah they give us a whole other story angle where it's like that that druid and that ranger doesn't just feel like that oh we got to go to the city now okay great i'll just uh i'll become <laughs> a, a tertiary character for a bit mm. these 
dryads that Satine created. Like these are her hers a hundred percent. She wrote these in to even have uh, interactions with the factions, mm-hmm. and so the Harpers. You're you not know, allowed to rhyme like that. Some, oh, there you go. <laughs> uh, if these if these harpers you know want to get some information or something like that, sure, maybe maybe we could do that. It might cost you a little bit. If the Emerald Enclave wants to have roots inside the city, literally, they do now, and it's not just a thing where oh we're going to go out here and do this because you know one of the big pillars of the Emerald Enclave is protecting the city from nature as well, mm-hmm. not just a one-sided landslide, yeah. but but this whole keeping the balance between the two and making sure that one is not going too far to hurt the other. So the, the Emerald Enclave could even have some sort of storyline where the urban the urban dryads are rebelling and you're and the Emerald Enclave needs to figure out what it is they can do to peaceably end the the revolt. Neat. Love it. Yeah. I love that stuff. So sounds like you guys have uh, you know uh, countless threads of story weaving throughout all of what is in this uh, this PDF. Uh, on the DMs Guild. I'm super excited about it. Yeah, I'm really oh. excited for my little adventures that are going going into it. Um, it's a trio of really bite-sized adventures, kind of like the ones you would get at the start of an Adventurers League season that Sean Merwin always knocks out at the park. Yeah. yeah. Um, and the cool thing about those is they actually run alongside of Fury's Fate stuff. Mm-hmm. So if you're watching Fury's Fate and you buy Xanathar's Lost Notes to everything else, hey, he got you it. can... Of course I did. Uh, <laughs> you can actually see where the threads intertwine and who's there. You'll you'll notice some names of some of the characters from Fury's Fate as the inform- information threads that come in and, and drop little lines and hints and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then you'll you'll have a clear reason to jump into the next uh, next portion because yeah, so all of those characters are owned by D and D and are mm-hmm. part of the the world as they as it lives and breathes and spends. At least until they kill themselves. <laughs> <laughs> and not to lock out anyone who's not watching Fury's Fate either, if you've played uh, any of the Port Nianzaru stuff from Tomb of Annihilation, or even if you've uh, you know, sort of followed your streaming presence here on D&D at all, you'll recognize this location and these characters. And it is a great segue from the rough-and-tumble jungle adventures that took place in Cholt and Tomb of Annihilation mm. to maybe making your way back to mainland Faerun, returning to, uh, in, in big quote marks, civilization. Um, and I'll spill a bit of the beans on this one. It involves uh, criminal factions. It's the Xanathar's book. Of course, his famous Thieves' Guild has mm. to make an appearance. Um, yep. What happens when a Faerunian power decides to try and exploit Port Nianzaru to spread their evil into that famous port. Yeah. yeah. Well, you'll find out. Yeah. <laughs> it's uh, it's uh, uh, adventure happens. That's what happens. Yeah, exactly. There you go. All right. I, I didn't know that was, I thought that was a rhetorical question, but I will answer <laughs> it with adventure. Uh, well, awesome, guys. This sounds really exciting. Uh, again, what's the name of the product again? Xanathar's Lost Notes to Everything Else. Okay, good. Uh, that is coming out Thanksgiving weekend. Post-Thanksgiving. $25 on the DMs Guild. Look for it there. Um, of course, we'll, you guys will be tweeting it out. So where can people find out about uh, uh, you and what you're doing, James? Uh, you can find me on Twitter most easily at James J. Hake. Uh, Hake is spelled H-A-E-C-K. And I post about all sorts of D&D stuff there. Nice. What about you, uh, Mr. Reedy Rutenberg? 
uh, I said this during the con, but I'm uh, at Rudy Woot, and I can be found in all places that Satine Phoenixes are sold, and uh, <laughs> that means that you can find us at twitch.tv slash mazearcana or twitch.tv slash dnd where we come in and we like to play our Fury's Fate, Sirens of the Realms, and obviously Chris Lindsay's One Grung Above, in which case we see poor little grungs trying to struggle out some sort of living in the mean, mean jungles of Chult. I love it. I love it. I feel like I could talk to you guys uh, for hours on each one of those things you just mentioned, and I, perhaps we will in the coming months. Yeah. Uh, I think maybe James and I should do some little uh, podcasting thing or something like that where we go through and break down each one of the subclasses and like what the theory was behind them and, and uh, how to do that. Yeah, okay. I'd love that. Yeah, that'd be great. Yeah, that's that's some good content right there, guys. Oh yeah, working on it. <laughs> Do that on a, a, a slash Maze Arcana too, as like a as a oh, video, yeah. just like we're doing here, guys. Yeah. Use all the pieces of the buffalo. Love Sounds it. Good to me. Uh, well, again, thank you guys for calling in, uh, Rudy. Uh, you know, a half hour after you uh, made it back after Pax Unplugged Philly, thank you for that. What an experience that was. I, I mean. mean just incredible. That's good. And then you got to cap it all off with this this interview. I mean, I feel like I'm a part of that experience just by talking to you. <laughs> Tito, you are a part of most every experience I have because I'm thinking about you in some way because of your incredible puns and <laughs> the jokes that you like to drop on me when I am not expecting them. And I texted you throughout it, so of course. <laughs> yeah, we didn't even get to talk about how you went with, your, uh, with the backpack uh, situation. What was that all about? Uh, well, people can go back here on some of the uh, past videos and, and actually check it out. I'm sitting there uh, running a game, and Satine is across the table running a game, and I'm at 7-3, and she's running 7-4, which were the ones that we wrote for uh, AL. And it was a pretty crazy uh, little thing. And then you guys also uh, hosted us when we did the improv, uh, the GM improv, which was pretty awesome. Um, but I don't think that one's here. I think that one's on the PAX, uh, PAX 2 channel or something. Mm. Um, and I think we also have it saved on ours uh, at Maze Arcana. It's a really great experience to get to do all that stuff. Nice. Oh, speaking of Adventurers League, I think other than Xanathar's Lost Notes, the next thing that uh, you will see me doing is an Adventurers League module for the back half of Season 7. Oh, nice. Yeah, I'll be doing an adventure called Fire, Ash, and Ruin, which takes place out of the jungles of Cholt in those horrible, horrible volcanic regions with mm. demons and dragons galore. You couldn't Is that one of the happy... Tier 4 ones? <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, I cut you off. What did you say, Rudy? Was that one of the Tier 4 modules? Um, I think it's, uh, it's Tier 3, uh, but okay. it's going to lay the seeds for the story of Tier 4. Oh, the Tier 4 stuff for this season of AL is incredible. Yeah, like, it's just off the, the rails. It's yeah. wild. So, I'm so excited to get to play it eventually. <laughs> uh, when they say AL, they're talking about uh, D&D Adventurers League yes. uh, stuff that you can play uh, most often in stores, but you can play it everywhere uh, out there. And that all those adventures are available on the Dungeon Masters Guild. You can download those. Those are small, bite-sized adventures. Mm-hmm. Um, the PDF are available there. Uh, a lot of people ask uh, for those level instead of the larger Tomb of Annihilation 256-page mm-hmm. books. Uh, do you have bite-sized content? And you guys are working on it and doing a lot of the good stuff uh, for that. So if you want Heck, yeah. those old school idea of a module that comes in 16 pages and you can play it in a night uh, all that stuff is there on the Dungeon Masters Guild as well. Even if you're not playing an Adventurers League, if you don't want to follow the rules and regulations of Adventurers League, get your friends together and just play them. Yeah, they're just good. There's just good adventures that are all 5th edition and, and ready to go by yep. uh, people like, uh, like these two fine gentlemen. 
Right, and there may be a, an option down the line somewhere for us to break this uh, big book down into littler pieces uh, to put out if there's something that you specifically are excited about or heard your friends mm. talk about and want to check out, but but don't necessarily have the $25 or $20 available to uh, to grab the whole thing, uh, and you, you just want one piece. Uh, that, that should be something that we get around to maybe for a Christmas or post-Christmas uh, type release. Oh, that's not nice. a bad idea, just so you can get like one subclass for 99 cents or something like that? Yeah. We would probably release it per class or do it in, like, you get, you know, one... Uh, one bard, one barbarian, one like the first half of the alphabet. I don't know. Yeah, we haven't um, decided on that yet, so that's why I'm not trying to be specific. No <laughs> worries. Didn't mean to make you uh, state it all right now. We're just can, spitballing here. You can hedge your bets a little bit, but I think that's a cool <laughs> idea to to have it in bite sized format for folks who just want to uh, play with one of those things. But yeah, good stuff. Um, and uh, yeah, well, I guess that's it, you guys. Um, you've thank you Over so again. soon for being on. I know, dude. We've been talking for like uh, 50 minutes here, five oh, zero. Gosh. So. Again, I could talk all day uh, about Never long enough. Yeah, I always do. Um, but we'll have you guys back on again soon and uh, talk to some of your other co-authors and uh, other parts of the uh, Guild Adept program uh, as well as Adventurers League because there's always more to, to unpack there. Oh, yeah. All right, well, you guys got to get back to work. You got to finish editing. Yep. You got to write some more. Oh, uh, James Intragasso has got to continue to project manage, uh, and uh, I'll let you get to it. So thanks, guys, for coming on. And uh, I guess that's uh, – should I do an outro uh, in addition to that? What do you think, Ryan? Let's just call it a day. We'll call it a thing. <laughs> yeah. You guys did it. You guys were fantastic. Uh, if you guys want to follow uh, Dungeons and Dragons, uh, it is at Wizards underscore DND on Twitter. Uh, we're also on Facebook. Feel free to like us there. Some good discussions uh, going on always on the Facebook group. Um, I am Greg Tito. You can follow me at Greg Tito. I'm also on Instagram at Greg underscore Tito. Uh, like to post pictures of stuff that goes on here in the office, uh, as well as uh, maybe you know, hinting at some things of the future. I don't know. We feel like we do that a lot here because uh, there's always fun stuff going on. Um, yeah. If you want to find out everything about Dungeons and Dragons as well as the Adventurers League, as I saw some people here in chat asking about it, go to DungeonsandDragons.com. Uh, the Adventurers League content is uh, all available in there. It kind of breaks down if you're new to D and D Adventurers League what it all means. Um, and it's in there too and uh, based on some of your comments here maybe we'll do one with Chris Lindsay and uh, Adventures League people to kind of break down more about uh, what that program is all about because it's really exciting it's a way to get into Dungeons and Dragons uh, without having you had to make up it all on your own it rocks essentially right yeah Yeah. and if if you're a fan of what we're doing here and what we get to do on the channel letting Tito come in here and you get to see his pretty face all the time and then watching some of the streams that we get to do don't forget to subscribe to the channel here because that does help. Like yeah. it shows them when they go back and they look at the numbers. Like this is worth it. You guys do want this, and this is a thing that we should continue yeah. uh, to do. And uh, whenever you're around uh, AL stuff at a convention or something like that, if you know Satine and I are going to be there uh, at the convention, there's a pretty good chance that any free time we get, we're going to be in the AL area, uh, hanging out, teaching stuff if we can, or running games or playing if we can't. God, playing what? Yeah, who gets <laughs> to do that anymore? Uh, All right, cool. Well, thank you guys so much. We'll be back uh, next week with another Dragon Talk. And uh, you keep rolling 20s out there, people. Nailed it. Nailed it. (laughs) Nailed it. (laughs) See you later. See ya. Have a wonderful day.